Hello, my fanist friends. Welcome to my podcast feed. Powered by ACAS Plus, here's a joke from my son. What did the bum say to the other bum? That's a bummer. You know, not for everyone. Uh, so, uh, look, thanks to everyone who's come to see the previews of Can I Have My Ball Back. It's been going really, really well, and uh, I'm really pleased with how the show's turning out. It's officially on tour now from Wednesday. I'll be at the Leicester Square Theatre. A couple of tickets left. Lots of press coming to that one. It'd be lovely to sell out, but there are a few other London gigs not selling as well. So if you're going to come to London... Maybe look up those other London gigs. And then this week I'll be in St Albans on Thursday, Gloucester on Friday, Chorley on Saturday, which is sold out. You can join the waiting list. And Glasgow on Sunday, two shows. I think the earlier show is sold out. Check with the venue, but the later show has some availability. Come along if you can. If you enjoy these podcasts and like them being free, then the great way to pay me back is to buy a ticket to a show or buy a download or a book from gofasterstripe.com. But you can just keep listening for free as well. That pays me back also. So, you know, no no pressure. But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, Tunbridge Wells. Welcome to the Assembly Hall Theatre. Please welcome a man with a strangely rattling scrotum. It's Richard Herring. Thank you very much. You're not as good as last week's audience. That's nice. Well, it has to be said. Uh, welcome uh, to the show. Love to see you all. Thanks for coming along. Uh, this is Richard Herring's uh, Little Supermarket for Tunbridge Wells podcast. <laughs> this, the Little's a good supermarket. That's perfectly fine for you guys. You don't need anything. Don't need anything else. You got a Little. There's a Tesco there. You're well served. Can't get those nice... Ah, oh, I love those little fruit salads you can get at Waitrose. <laughs> Don't know what I'd do without those, the mushroom stuff. Right, oh, it's so good. <laughs> I, was to, I was at the UK Owl and Raptor Centre uh, the other day. Uh, it's, uh, it's basically, I was expecting to be Royal Tunbridge Wells's Jurassic Park. I was looking forward to seeing the raptors, I have to say. Wasn't so bothered about the owls. But I thought there were going to be some raptors there. This will be good. It was mainly owls. There was very few dinosaurs there at all. I should have been suspicious. <laughs> anyway, the owls call it Rahalastapar. That's good. Um, I always like to check the, uh, fr- the front page of the local newspaper to see what kind of place I'm in. Uh, I looked at the front page of the Tunbridge Wealth Times, which looks like it's from 1894. I, I, generally, I genuinely had to check it wasn't a reproduction on the internet that I just... I genuinely did. Although the, the headline, today, this headline, this is getting people, remember the headline of a newspaper is trying to encourage people to buy the newspaper, some big piece of news, like, oh, I, have, I have to buy the Tunbridge Wells Times this week. Uh, council proposes mandatory card payments for all taxis. That is, that is the, uh, that's the big headline news. I mean, hey, it's sort of, it might as well be fucking 1894 if it isn't, if you can't already pay for all your taxes on cards. 
This is the 21st century. Who has cash anymore? Uh, but, uh, you know, God, I saw that. I thought, blimey, I better buy the paper to read more about that. Uh, I, was, I went down to Pent Pantiles, where the streets are tiled with pants. Um, well, on a Friday night from what I've witnessed in the Royal Victoria Place complex before I came. I was there at five o'clock. And uh, the schools were just out, and uh, they were already pretty frisky. The police, the police were involved. So well done. You know, so, you know, you don't live up to the stereotype all the time, Royal Tunbridge Well, so congratulations on that. So look, I will just have a quick uh, run through uh, what I'll be doing after the show. I'm, I'm going to run out to the foyer before you. And I was just talking to my guest about this, uh, who said he saw Alvin Stardust do the same thing. Alvin Stardust and the Grumbleweeds, they were out in the foyer before the audience. You're not going to believe how quickly I'm out there. Uh, I have cards. You can pay by cash or card. Uh, it's not mandatory. Not yet. Uh, and uh, as I said, there's some, uh, some stickers and uh, cards. There's all the different emergency questions books. Would you rather? There's a book I'm going to ask, I guess, some of those. There's some little emergency questions books that fit in the pocket. One of them is Christmas emergency questions. What a great gift that would be coming up coming up for Christmas. Right, let's crack on. Hopefully my guest has made himself a cup of tea by now. Uh, he is probably local. He lives in Royal Tunbridge Wells. Uh, he's probably best known as high-class customer in West Slice version of Uptown Girl. That is, that's why we're... That's why we only get the good, the good guests. Will you please welcome the actually incredible Robert Bathurst, ladies and gentlemen. It's Robert Bathurst from Uptown Girl. Thank you. Lovely to see you, Robert. I get a mug. You've got, you've got a free mug. It's a good size. Yeah, there are three of us in this show. There's you, me, and your merch. <laughs> How do I compare to Alvin Stardust and the Grumbleweeds, though? That is the yeah, question. Yeah, I saw Alvin Stardust on the North Pier at, uh, at, at um, Blackpool. And I, was, I went out pretty quick at the end of it, but Alvin was already in the foyer, and I'll see if you can beat that. I'll beat, I'll beat, I can beat Stardust. <laughs> um, do you remember being in uh, the Westlife? Uh, yeah, that was you? the beginning and the end of my pop career. That was <laughs> Got to number one. Did Thank it? you very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was a comic relief video for Uptown Girl oh, and uh, with Claudia Schiffer in a diner somewhere in North London. And the boys were eventually... We, 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 there were various ones like Yoan Griffith and... Tim McInerney, we were all smart and sort of dinner suits and stuff. Going, we were meant to be meeting Claudia Schiffer and taking her out, and the uh, the Westlife boys uh, uh, got her in the end. Yeah, so, well, they would do, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. It was fascinating to watch. You know, to watch it. I mean, to make a make a, a, a pop video. Never done one before, but we were saying things. The actors were in it, and we were saying things to the director like, uh, "What's the continuity here?" <laughs> he went, "Continuity. It is a pop video. It was the only one I've ever done, but we did get to number one. That's it." Yeah. yeah. That's a win. That's a win. Do, do you sing on the record? No, sing, no, 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 no. I don't no, think no, you got no, to number one, yeah. then, Robert. Yeah, I don't exactly. think. I don't think. I don't I'm think. The... Claiming it, we were on top of the pops <laughs> in number one. Thank you very much. There we are. I think the kids in uh, we don't need no education have a better better shot. Yeah, they go. Yeah, they, big boys they, don't they cry. They she, she, she was here. She's got more of a claim. <laughs> That's good. Look, it's so lovely to see you. I was saying backstage. I think the last time I saw you was when we did quite a. a it's always a horrible thing to do, but we did a table read of one of my scripts for BBC executives in a horrible boardroom. They're all sitting at one end. Yeah. It was a very nice cut. It was my. It was the show that went on to be You Can Choose Your Friends on ITV and then went to be on Relativity uh, on the radio. Robert didn't want to be in either of those. Uh, and <laughs> I should have your character was in the radio version. Uh, and um, Timothy West was, was, was there as well. It was That's pretty right. amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So you did, uh, it, it had various iterations, didn't it? I mean, it went... Yes, it, went, it kind of, yeah, it went, it went uh, up and down. <laughs> it's unusual to go from TV to then being a radio show. I, I've, I've done it backwards, and then it'll just be me in my attic, just <laughs> with puppets. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way it goes. Um, Look, and I, I, I didn't know this about you either. I don't think that you were you were in the kind of glory days, really, of the of the Cambridge Footlights. I mean, I'm a, I'm amazed it was 1977 because you do not look old enough to have been. Must have been ten years old. I feel it. Okay, yeah. uh, but you were in the Cambridge Footlights, the kind of couple of years before Stephen Fry, Emma Thompson. But you were, must have been contemporaries with them. Yeah, well, well, I mean, they were there when I. Yeah, they was. I was 30, yeah, I did. Yeah, I toured Australia with with. I toured Australia with. Um, 
Stephen, Hugh and Emma in, uh, in a show after they left, and we did a, did a show all around Australia. Uh, in 1981, England had just beaten Australia in the test match. And, <laughs> and uh, so we called the show, we did, it, was, it was a review about nothing in particular, but we called the show Botham the Musical, so just for the sake of it. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and it really foxed all the Australian press when they just wanted to go, who's the guy who plays Botham? We want to take a photograph. And it wasn't, it was a nonsense title, and it was just at, at them, that was the only point of it. Yeah. So was that, was that before, they, uh, before they sort of went... That was before they did Alfresco. Fresco, I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I wanted to be doing what I'm doing now, which is, which is acting. Yeah. I didn't want to be a straight man for Jimmy Melville or any other sort of option that was happening. <laughs> and uh, and uh, to do sketches, I couldn't... I mean, uh, I'm not a comedian, I don't do... And I do, I do obviously, I do comedy and stuff, but, but uh, comedy dramas and stuff, but I didn't want to do sketch shows. And I couldn't see anybody over 33 in sketch shows. This was when I was about 23. And so I went into a show in the West End and went on from there. Yeah. And the rest is mystery. <laughs> but, you know, you say, you say you're not... Uh, I mean, you are very funny and you've played a stand-up comedian in one of my uh, favourite 20th century sitcoms. Brilliant. Yeah, my favourite job ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joking Apart, which was... was I think, like, again, it was... It, it did very well, but it, it, I think it's, it's sort of, you know, it doesn't get the credit it deserves. It was an early Stephen Moffat. Uh, yeah, it was, it was one of his first. He wrote Press Gang, and then he wrote Joking Apart, then he wrote Coupling after that. And, and Joking Apart was um, the producer, Andre Tushinsky, um, said to Stephen, who li- he liked his writing, and said, what makes you laugh? And he said, well, I've just been divorced. That's pretty funny. And, <laughs> and uh, so he wrote this thing called Joking Apart, which was... Had these stand-up sequences in it, which were actually were its downfall in some ways, yeah. because because they were just played into the audience. They were narrative. They were to spin the narrative along, and so there, I was in a club and I was doing the thing, and I'm wearing a shiny suit. I mean, and all that, and um, and and they were just to play into the studio audience to spin the narrative along. And they said that we'll reshoot those, but they never had the money to shoot, reshoot them. Right. So they went in. That was on the first series, and then Seinfeld came along, which of course was about stand-up, well, much more. Yeah. And, uh, and we did a second series, and people said, well, that's Steinfeld's done that. And we said, well, no, well, yeah, we, 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 were, we did it. And we had about three years between series, and it was a very frustrating. But I have to say, of the 12 episodes that we made uh, that Stephen wrote, I reckon eight of them are just brilliant classic farces which we'll endure. And, and yeah. people still talk about it. I, for, a lot, for a long time, I used to get stopped by drunks in public transport telling me the plot of their favourite episode of Joking Apart. <laughs> and and uh, it, was, it was the most enjoyable and, and, I mean, and well-written comedy I've ever done. Yeah, it's, apart from the one... Apart from the, yours, you of course. The table, the table, present the table, present table, company the accepted, of course. Until I got that script. <laughs> and said, it's too good, I can't, I can't be in it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but is it true that you, that you feel responsible for it not getting a third series? I heard a story that you'd... You thought you'd put, you'd put the mockers well, on the oh, third God. Yeah, Well, I mean, yes. I mean, I should say, Choking Apart took five years, four or five years to, to make the two series. We had, it was the most frustrating period because I, I mean, we all adored the show and people were, were enjoying it. But anyway, so yes, um, we made the second series and then, uh, well, if you insist, I, 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 Christmas 1993 BBC Two Christmas Party. And uh, we all had to queue up in, in a royal procession for the then head of BBC Two, who then, who, who was, and I'd had a couple. And, 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 uh, and uh, if you're an American, you go, yeah, and you run with. Yeah. You run with, I suppose it's an improv thing, you run with, with an idea, and you develop it, and you expand it. And if you're too British, you undercut it. And, you know, I suppose maybe that's the analysis of it. But anyway, so he said, he, in the queue, he said, ah, uh, oh, great, we've just done the second series of Jerking Apart, we'll repeat series one and two together, and then we'll make series three in the summer. To which the reply was, Michael, that was just fantastic. I think that's a really good idea. Mm-hmm. But he said, and he also said, he said, I want, uh, the, I want the viewing figures. He did this sort of media graph with his hand. He said, I want the viewing figures, he said, she said to, get, to go like Everest. Like that. And I just said, well, Everest goes down the other side. <laughs> <laughs> so we never made series three. <laughs> series two was never repeated. But, uh, and, and because it was a, a Stephen uh, wrote this character who never takes anything seriously and always comes back with a... He said, at least we weren't out on a one-liner, he said. <laughs> Weirdly, I went to a BBC Christmas party. It must have been about 19... It must have been a yeah. couple of years after that because yeah. we were doing Fist of Fun. And I got very drunk. Uh, and uh, and I'm, me and Stephen Moffat, it was a big Christmas tree, but it was sort of up a... Up some, I don't know, it's up oh. some steps... 
we tried to climb up the Christmas tree and I remember crawling up this gantry with Stephen Moffat behind me. So, you know, it's probably his fault. Yeah, it's probably. Uh, yeah. It probably is, yeah. but we, I never got invited back. <laughs> <laughs> and I did that awful thing where I said, I met someone and said, oh, you were in my favourite ever sitcom. And he went, really? What sitcom was that? And I said, you were in Citizen Smith. He said, no, I wasn't. I was in Brushstrokes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> never invited back. So, um... <laughs> but look, I mean, there's there's so much that we could talk about that you, that you've been been in, and uh, we will try and get through as much of it as possible. Um, I was very interested to hear that you were nearly uh, one of the men in That's Life, one of the men who sat behind Esther in That's Life. In fact, you got the you got the job to be that guy, right? Does anybody remember That's Life? Yes. Of course yeah. They well, do. I mean, uh, yeah, I was in my early twenties, and um, I had uh, my agent put me in for That's Life, and uh, I wanted to do what I'm doing at the moment. I didn't want to be a TV presenter, so I lied my way through the auditions. I lied to Esther Ransom. I'm sorry I did. I lied to Esther Ransom. And uh, I said how much I wanted to do it. We did three rounds of auditions. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, it was... It was uh, I, I eventually, we went into a studio with loads of people in the audience, and uh, there were two hopefuls on either side of Esther doing the quips. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and yeah, uh, yeah I, t- I turned it down. But, I mean, I, when, you know, somebody else did it brilliantly. And, uh, but, it, but I knew that if I, was going to, if I was going to do that job, I would never be able to... It would always be on my record, as it were. You know, yeah. You'd always be um, referred to as, as one of Esther's boys. Yeah, I don't and, think... Not yeah. many of them have... I mean, a few couple of them had sort of slightly journalistic careers and they were journalistic in inverted commas but it, it was a hard thing to escape but if that were why did you go through the whole process of doing the audition well, i was you... young and, and and just sort of flailing and and yeah. uh, and there was was uh, I, i'm still up to doing anything <laughs> um, but uh, i was I, I was uh i was trying trying just trying you know and also i had no certainty that I, I knew through the audition process when they asked me to research and present a program on the smelliest piggery in south wales you know. <laughs> I, I, I knew that was i didn't want that as my future really. no no i think you made the right choice maybe <laughs> uh, but it was, i'll tell you what the, the difficulty was of course uh, 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 that's life was getting and it seems odd now to to think about that but there was getting 18 million people a week watching it and uh and and so i in about a year later i was um, uh, just, I took a very unambitious job at the National Theatre, holding a spear and saying one line for four months. Um, so standing there in my chainmail and tights and, and uh, balaclava, with my uh, balaclava pulled down over my eyes and up over my nose, so that no friend could recognise me, and 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 holding the spear. And I was thinking, I could be opening supermarkets by now. <laughs> but, uh, I'm glad I didn't. Yeah. I, again, yeah. I think it was. It was sort of interesting to think of those moments. And the choices you make. I mean, not that I think there was ever really any chance of you doing that job. But I, I always go back, and I've done this a few times, but I go back to Paul McCartney after uh, Hamburg, came back and worked at a factory and, and was offered a promotion. And the Beatles didn't do anything for a few months. And then John Lennon came and said, we're doing these gigs at the Cavern at lunchtime. Would you, would you come down? And he was offered a promotion. Yeah. So we had to choose between the, like, doing a proper job and getting, getting, getting more money yeah. or giving it up and going and being the Beatles. Yeah. That would have been a, I mean, that would have been a bigger change than you being in that life or not. <laughs> no offence, Robert. <laughs> On balance. <laughs> but yeah. if you imagine if he'd chosen, and do you think, you know, do you think he would have, do you think he would have still gone back to music or we would just never have had oh, any It's of a fantastic music? thought. I mean, there's yeah. a rather good film in that, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of films basically about that idea. Okay. But sort of, like, alternative reality, you know, that's what yeah. yesterday sort of is. And sliding doesn't, doors and doesn't, doesn't, Sliding doors don't bring that up. You're probably, I can't be careful when I slag off because you are in absolutely everything from the last <laughs> 40 years. So I will have to be careful. I'm well, gonna... I, have, I tell you, there are lots of stuff in my CV which I, since my 20s I've been putting the, uh, two credits in italics of, of productions. You know, you have, you have also seen in and stuff like that. And I've done lots of episodes of stuff and, and it's in, uh, you know, over the years. And, uh, and so uh, I put in two made-up credits and I've been doing that for about 30 years. And, it, and it's still in my CV. It's still on, I think it's on IMDb. I think it's still there. And it's official. And um, <laughs> so one of them came about when I was on the tube in Brixton in my late 20s. And somebody, I, was, I used to do adverts and stuff like that. I used to keep the family going. And, um, and somebody stopped me on the... Well, she was getting off the tube. It was a terminal, so there was time. And she, she got off the tube and she, and she came back on again and said, you're on the telly, aren't you? 
And I said, yeah, sometimes. And uh, she said, my friend wants to know what you've been in. And I said, I didn't have my CV on me. I said, I said uh, well, I know, just, you know, um, the odd thing. And she's called down to her friend, he was in the odd thing. <laughs> so I've, I've used that in my CV. TV also includes the odd thing. <laughs> and, and, then, then, and then I, um, uh, then I add to it, um, uh, just uh, as in over time, there are various episodes of stuff which either for space or shame, I don't mention. And, um, and uh, that, that comes under, I, I just put that in italics, Next door to the odd thing, I put in loads of Tosh. Uh, and, and, and when we did the cold feet stuff, all took off and, and uh, there was publicity for that. And they may have read my theatre programme because um, it said uh, under my photograph in their brochure, it said, star of TV's The Odd Thing and loads of Tosh. <laughs> it's official. It's well, you've done more than, you've done more than the odd thing. And, uh, you know, I can't now, think of an actor who hasn't been in loads of times. Now, now I worry that some of the credits I'm going to read out weren't real. So we'll see. Um, I do remember you in the first episode of Red Dwarf. So that, yeah, I've been which, killed in the yeah. episodes of Red Dwarf, uh, first episode of Red Dwarf and Hornblower. Right, that's pretty yes, impressive. Yeah, I've been, I was turned into a pile of sherbet in the first episode of Red Dwarf. <laughs> very annoyingly, I was working in Manchester and I, they asked me to sort of uh, resurrect the, the character just for an episode of Todd Hunter. That was his name. And uh, so I was very not, I was upset. I'd love to have gone back and, oh, and done that. But yeah, we did. Um, yeah, I was I was uh, I was uh, nuked in the, in the first one, and uh, yeah, and blown up in in Hornblow. Well, so, you know, they both did pretty well those series, so maybe that's a did very good well luck. Me. Yeah, yeah, kill, yeah, yeah. kill Bathurst in episode yeah, one. <laughs> Though cold feet, you survived that, and that's done all right as well. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I've also, I've not only been blown up and stuff, I've been hit an awful lot. I think two actors are divided into those who hit and those who get hit. <laughs> and I'm definitely the other, this one. Yeah. And so I did a, on my, I had a, I had a website at one stage. I'm not very tech savvy. I had a website at one stage and it got taken over by Chinese, I think. I can't remember what, where it is now. Anyway, there was a, a button on it called Greatest Hits which was my compilation of, of me being punched and kicked and killed and blown up in, <laughs> in, in various shows over the years. But uh, I may try and find that again. Yeah, it'll be good to see. I mean, you've got a, you know, that's a little bit of a... The characters you play, I would say, sometimes have a little bit of a punchable face. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and, but also, I agree. It happens to be your face as well, Robert. <laughs> Yeah, and guns. I, I mean, gun, I, can, I can't really hold an automatic weapon with any great authority, you know? And so, uh, so yeah, I, I generally on the receiving end. Yeah, terrific. Um, look, I'm, gonna go, I'm not even going to go in order because there's things that I really want to talk about in just in case we don't get time. Uh, but look, I have to mention Toast of London, which is... I mean, that, that's a... Um, it was, an, it was like maybe an unusual choice for you after done, having done... You know, so you've done quite a few mainstream sitcoms and you've done something like Cold Feet and Toast of London is quite uh, out there. Well, I mean, I, I, that's the principle of working. I mean, yeah. always, if something seems... When I first read Toast, I thought, what is this? <laughs> Which was the reason for doing it. Yeah. Because it, was just, it just seemed completely unlike anything I'd seen before or yes. read before. And, uh, and it wasn't until I was filming the pilot that I began to understand really what it was. And, uh, but, uh, I, and I like people who've got art school backgrounds as well. I just, I just think there's so many Oxbridge English people in the media who, who know everything. They've got every, the answer to absolutely everything. And I like working with art school people. Art school people throw it up and see what lands. Yeah. And, and uh, so I, there are two particular, Matt Berry and, and a cartoonist called Charles Petey I've done stage shows with. And, and they, they, they just have a, a different approach to things. Matt's a jazzer. He's a, he's a musician, really good musician, but his whole attitude is jazz. And, uh, and that came through in the writing of it. So, yeah, I mean, it, was, it, was, it might well have not worked. And, and in fact, the first series, nobody wrote about it, and it was, it was going to get pulled. Uh, and then the second series, uh, Matt won an award for it, and people started to come around to it. And we've only done two, well, done two of Toast of London, and then he went and did the Hollywood one. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, it's... Um, I think I, I love it because it's got its own language and, and also comedy names are really difficult. If you see a reader sitcom and everybody's called Blenkinsopt and Chumley or whatever, and it's, uh, it, you, if they're trying too hard with the names, yeah. it, it, but, but the way what Matt and Arthur do is they, they like fridge magnet names 
from, from two connections and they spend months sort of <laughs> finding name pairings that work. And so you have Kikini Bamalam and Pookie Hook and all those other ones. Yep. And, uh, and uh, rather enjoyably, a, a racing trainer has uh, named characters after uh, characters in Toast. Mm. They named horses after characters in Toast. And uh, I have to say, uh, Hauser Black has won five races. <laughs> Um, uh, someone reminded me on uh, Twitter, and I, I think I should ask you about the episode with uh, Bruce Forsyth, who you've mentioned, the, the character. That was, that's quite an extraordinary that scene. Was, I watched it again today. It's quite an yeah. extraordinary scene, isn't it? It has. It's, uh, I mean, it is. It's, uh, does anybody remember that one episode? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it was, it was, it was extraordinary. It was extraordinary. And, uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's very difficult to describe. And when people say, what is, what is toast... <laughs> And, and, and people who've seen it, the, the, the converted guy, yeah, 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 toasted, like that. But people who haven't, of course, they, 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 they're as blank as I was when I first read it. And they sort of think, well, when I first came across it. And uh, they, they, they have no... Well, if you say, um, I, I, I had to sleep with a Bruce Forsyth lookalike. Uh, and, uh, and, and there's a character in it played by Tracy Ann Overman, who's a prostitute, but she only pays... Uh, but she only charges her husband for sex. It, 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 it's... it's it sort of gets people into the zone yeah. of where, t- where toast lies. Yeah, and, it, and it's, it's sort of a parody of actors without it being, you know, it, 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 it's not parodying anything. They're not really real characters well, that's, that's acting. that's the brilliant thing. But I mean, it's, uh, there's a couple of things there. Well, one is um, Matt is, Matt's, it takes, the, it takes the piss out of, of actors. And when I first read it, I thought, is this just a niche? Is this just yeah. a, an industry? Uh, humor thing, which uh, and it's gone so much wider than that. But Matt is is not. I mean, uh, he's not. His, 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 you know, he hasn't done much acting. Acting, you know, he's done. Well, he said that he. Uh, he said, "Oh, the great greatest job I ever did was was uh, I was a, I was a, um, I worked in the London Dungeon uh, on the Ripper tour, and uh, you know, it's absolutely fantastic because you had all these Japanese tourists and stuff like that going around with you and, and through the streets and stuff like that, and then you'd eventually reveal yourself to be the Ripper, and they'd all faint. It was fantastic. <laughs> and and and, uh, and that, that for him, that was that was that was acting, you know, like that. And yet, you know, he does get under the skin of of, of the nonsense and the, and the vanity of 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 and the craziness of of doing that job, but. Um, he, it, and yet he's not sort of part of it. it often t- it takes the best sort of satirists are slightly sort of outside the world that they're satirizing. Yes. Very often. Yeah. And, uh, and, but he, he, he's absolutely got it. And he absolutely, and I love the fact that uh, actors like it. There's no voiceover studio I've been to than, than it isn't. <laughs> I can hear you, Clem Fandango, <laughs> scrolled up in the wall. Uh, I love, I mean, I love Clem Fandango so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he occasionally, you know, you, he's, a, he's a very good actor and he turns up in quite serious yeah, thrillers and dramas and things and it's just so enjoyable to see yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, it's, it's, yeah, it's, if you haven't seen it, which it seem, sounds like you all have uh, in the room at least, uh, do check it out. It is uh, extraordinary, hopefully. Will there be more of that one? I mean, it's... I don't know. I mean, I, I, uh, he's got... He, Matt's... Working a lot in in, the, in North America, in Canada, right. and and see, and his eyes, and oh, there's a lot of. In, he did Toast of Tinseltown, and and uh, Americans were queuing up to say, "I can hear you, Clem Fandango." <laughs> so uh, maybe maybe there'll be more. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, the, the Bruce Forsyth thing is very up, very ups, it's very upsetting. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash-switch. Forty-five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
I mean, look, it's there's it's literally everything. Like, I, I'm, I'm interested in the the, the dad's army uh, pl- taking on the dad the role of uh, John Lemez, wasn't it? In uh, I did two outings was... as John Lemez. I did well, one was um, I think I got the nod for the for the remake of the dad's army, rather yeah. rather restoration of the dad's army, uh, because of that. I did a thing with Ruth Jones when she played um, Hattie Jakes, and right, um, yeah. um, uh, and. Um, uh, yeah, and I played John Lemez in that. Yes, and then so yeah, then then because of the eighty episodes of Dad's Army that were made in the sixties, um, uh, six were taped over to make Panorama or something like that. You know, just sort of because they they didn't regard it as something that'll ever be seen again. Crazy. And so they the tapes, these big chunky videotapes, were taped over, and they found copies in in various stations around the world. For most of them, but there were three episodes of, of Dad's Army which we've never seen, and the, the completists among the fans of Dad's Army wanted to see, well, wanted, uh, it would claim to, that they'd like to see them made, but of course they couldn't be made because the, the great heroes were, were dead. But um, so they got sort of the understudies in to, to play um, the parts. They rebuilt the Warmington on Sea in, in the studio, and, uh, and in the audience, there were, it was rather strange, there were. Um, some a lot of people in uh, from the Dad's Army Appreciation Society in full uniform, <laughs> uh, all of them going, "Oh yeah, come on, let's see what you can do," and uh, and it was done faithfully to to to, to it, and um, and we were just doing a restoration job. There's no, I think there's no point. There've been various Dad's Army things, uh, and, and to, in my uh, to my opinion, there's no point in in remaking something that's available. There's no point in recreating the characters in a in a in a thing that that Jimmy Perry and David Croft didn't write. Yeah. And so this, these were pure in the sense that they were the, the shows. They were shot as close as you could get to it as they were. And we um, all knew our job, which was to, to land the script, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and the three episodes, yeah, they, the, 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 they were restorations, and they seemed to go okay. Yeah. Is it, what, how does it feel to, to step into that? Presumably, like all of us, you, you watch these things as a kid and, you know, the, the, um, I remember Dad's Army being, you know, I, I remember the Don't Tell Him Pike thing and how funny that was the, at the actual first time that it, that it happened. But, you know, you remember watching those with the whole family and then to step into it and, and be in it. Well, it's great because, you're de- I mean, it was, a, it was a through line to what they, they had to do and that yeah. was really a thread which was really exciting to take on. And, but, I mean, and also you become aware that these sitcom writers, they construct comedy so well. I mean, I say Stephen Moffat is on a par with that. I mean, I think his, his comedy construction is, is, is unparalleled. And, uh, but but there, so you're dealing with scripts which everything pays off, everything's set up and everything pays off. And so, so to do that was, uh, was a real pleasure. Yeah, yeah it's, amazing. it's amazing. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a very interesting uh, story of why that came up as well. Um, let's talk about Cold Feet. So the, where, you were... I mean, things were going pretty well in your career, but the Cold Feet obviously was like, you know, sort of blew up, you know, blew up so massively. Yeah, it was the first of those sort of um, sort of mega things. That, I, yeah. mean, I mean, I've been doing loads of stuff. Yeah. I mean, but um, and I thought I was ticking over okay. Yeah. Um, but um, that was a different level, really, when it when it took off, and it didn't take off to start off with. It was originally a, a fifty-minute um, pilot. Well, it wasn't even a pilot. It was a fifty-minute one-off story of the Jimmy Nesbitt and Helen Baxendale characters, uh, where Jimmy ended up with a rose up his bottom singing um, you know, uh, the love song. Um, and, and that's how it ended, and that was where it finished. Uh, and nobody was talking about a series. We never got options for it. It was, it was just deemed as a sort of a good one-off. And uh, the other characters, the other four of us, were sort of satellite characters to the other two. And, um, and then they decided to make a series. Oh, that, oh that's right. It got... It got uh, the, the pilot, uh, the pilot, the, the, the first episode, the one-off, went out on the night that Channel Five was launched, uh, and um, it, uh, for some reason, uh, I don't know, a Grand Prix overran or something. And in those days, you couldn't stream things. It no. was if it overran, it overran. So we overran too, and um, and so we. If anybody pressed their recorder, their VHS recorder, they only got half of us. Uh, because we, we, we went out late. And, and I, of course, you open the papers the next day and you think, surely, they must know that it's a fantastic bit of work. You know, how often has that happened? And nobody wrote about it. Nobody mentioned it. Uh, and, uh, and I thought it was just another one, you know, that's gone. Yeah. And uh, so then um, ITV, and ITV weren't really backing it. And the guy, very briefly, I won't go on too long about it, but, but uh, Andy Harris, who ran Granada drama and stuff like that, he bullied ITV to put it in as their second string in the Montreux 
Awards, right. which is the big comedy, European comedy festival, TV comedy festival. And we were, we were ITV's number two string in that. And we won it. We won, we won, it, won the, it won the gold. And then ITV decided it was really rather good. <laughs> and, uh, and a lot of people started taking credit for it. And, um, and, and then it, uh, they made a first series. And then, it, and then every, we did five, five series in the first lot. And, uh, and every year it was... Because um, the, pre- the previous series had worked, you know, on, a, on the sort of level of most people's um, way they calculate these things. And, uh, and then, then there's always that moment, will this work again? You know, and for five years, every autumn or so, uh, we worked sort of, we could he- tell after two weeks that people in offices were talking about it. Yeah. And, it and it took off. So, yeah, and, um, and we pulled it after five, five series. And, uh, and then, yeah, there, was some, there were four others recently, more recently. Yeah. Is it going to be the kind of thing that comes back every sort of seven up? Well, you see, well, I, I wrote, to, uh, I wrote to, the, uh, to, to Mike. I spoke, I had lunch, lunch with Mike, and I said, come on, you know. In a way, I mean, 2026 will be the 30th anniversary of the pilot. And uh, so uh, we, I thought, well, you know, why not bookend the series? I mean, I, this is just me talking. I'm not yeah. speaking on behalf of anybody else. But, I mean, it just seems that, that people are invested in those characters. They've seen us when we've been relatively young and, uh, and more middle-aged. And, and now we're going to be older. And, so, and I think there's some value in, in bookending the series with, with cold feet, the third age, if you like, you know, just to see, because there are all sorts of things that life throws at you as you get on. Yeah. Uh, but, it, but it can also be funny, and I just think that it, it, it can't be just a series of, of misery stories of, of, of things that happen as you, as you get more and more decrepit. I think that uh, it, it's, it's, there should be a good spark in there, and Mike's very capable of writing that. Old um, feet, you could call it. Old feet has been mentioned. Yes, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly, sorry. Old feet would be a perfect, perfect title for it, yeah. <laughs> But is that, I mean, I think the thing with you is you, you do do so many different things that I'm sure that this doesn't happen to you. But when people have a very successful show and a very successful character, there's, you know, they can be haunted by it and it can be like, oh, I don't want to go back to that because we've done it. But it feels to me that because you do, you know, you have, you do, you've, you've done so much variety even, you know, over the last 20 years since, since that started, 30 years since that started, that, that it, it doesn't feel like a burden to go back to, to the old. No, thing. it wouldn't be because I mean no. I, I love playing David and um, and I think there's juice in the characters. Yeah, and that's what it's that's what what it's about really. I mean that's yeah. why the reason why we'd we'd want to go back in primarily. I mean it would be you know be handy of course financially, but I mean but really it's there's no point. <laughs> yeah, I mean not just for that, but I mean, it would be um, it would be really interesting to go and uh, delve into those characters again. I think, and and you don't. I don't, I don't, I always get, I always get, I just, I don't believe people when they say, oh, I'm so, I'm just recognized for this, it's terrible, it's terrible, it's terrible. <laughs> it's just disingenuous. Ah, oh, shut up, you think. Well, I think maybe, I, I think you're right. I think people should be, you know, when I had Michael Palin on this, it was just glorious that he loved, you know, he, he would recite some of the old sketches. And well, he'd, he'd, you know, do, he'd yeah. do Python sketches. Yeah, yeah. And it was just, it was just lovely. Funny. And you kind of think, I know loads of people wouldn't do that. Yeah. But it was just like, yes, this is what you yeah. should do. Some yeah. people love the thing you did and he yeah. still loves it and it's, just yeah. perfect. But yeah, it is. I think if someone gets a character and then that's all they get to do, I mean, you've, yeah. get, you know, you've almost, as an actor, I think you've, you've almost had the perfect career, haven't you? Well, that I you've know, had... but, I mean, but I think, I mean, I think it's more difficult in soaps. Yeah. I mean, soaps, you see, I mean, soaps, you, 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 you're on for five days a week, whatever it is, for a year. And then it gets very difficult for people to accept you as something else. If you're in films, you're, you're maybe seen once every four years. You know, you might see Mike more months, so a couple of years, you might be seeing something. Telly, something like Cold Feet, you know, you're not on that much. And so you, so, but, it's, but I think it's the saturation parts, the parts that people only want to see you in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that uh, I think that's where the trouble lies for actors. Sure. And you do a lot of stage work as well, of course. Um, you yeah. do, you're working on, uh, you're, you've done it before, I think, haven't you? The Jeffrey Barnard is unwell and you're doing that yeah. again? Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I did, uh, yeah I'm, I'm about, about to do. I mean, I'm, I, mean um, I don't think this podcast probably goes after it. But yeah, I'm, uh, it's, uh, it's small scale, but it's something I've done before. And it's, uh, it's called Jeffrey Barnard is Unwell, which is um, a character, in, well, a character, he's a writer, journalist in the 80s and 90s, Jeffrey Bernard, who was wrote a, uh, a, a column called Low Life. He was a, a, an alcoholic, a gambler, diabetic, you know, he was just... And he wrote about life in the gutter in Soho. And um, Jonathan Meese described the column as a 15-year suicide note. <laughs> yes, and right. uh, And he, he, wrote, he was very funny. And Keith Waterhouse um, wrote a collation of his work in, and set it in the Coach and Horses pub in Soho, 
which they did on stage, and Peter O'Toole did it, and Jimmy Bolam and all sorts of people did it on stage with four actors playing character, the, 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 the scenes from his life. Uh, and I'm going to do it on my own in the Coach and Horses, uh, in the actual pub itself. So we get 70 into the pub. Brilliant. And, uh, and um, yeah, I'm starting that in a couple of weeks, yeah. Brilliant. I'm sure that will come. I'm sure you'll do... That's quite a limited audience. <laughs> That's where I should be. I'll, go, I'll do the... <laughs> I might do my podcast there after you. Do a double bill. But... Uh, but, the, you know, I'm sure that's going to run and run, isn't it, if you I want to? Like, I just like doing that show in the pub, because it's yeah, site-specific. When he says, I was arrested by C, I, he was arrested there. I mean, yeah. He was actually on that bar stool. And, uh, and I, just, I, I love doing that. And, and also, it's quite fun, because it's very hot in there, and a couple of times I had to stop the show, because people fainted, and I had to take them outside. <laughs> and, and, uh, there, and there was no one on the door, and, you know, I had to sort of hold it up whilst we called the paramedics and stuff like that. So it's, it's all very rough and ready. So, yeah, so the, the audience become part of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe in their death. Maybe, maybe they'll die. Die. <laughs> um, look, I mean, there is so much to talk about. I mean, I'm, you know, you... You turn up in unexpected places. That's what I what I like about you, and I, and and I like that you do that. Like you're in Mrs. Brown's Boys, which I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have pegged you down to go into Mrs. Brown's Boys, but the, you, you... no, I mean, I mean I I I will stand up for Brendan, and uh, I, yeah, I did the I did a film, this Mrs. Brown's Boys the movie. Yeah, in which I played. Uh, uh, I, I, grew, I spent six years in Ireland in my youth. Yes, that's right. And uh, so I played this sort of Trinity College Dublin barrister. A barrister with Tourette's. It was, it was a subtle piece. And, <laughs> and, and, then, uh, and then he had me in for a, a New Year's Eve sitcom special up in Glasgow. We filmed it there. And did one of, his, one of the sitcoms. And I played uh, Mrs. Brown's love interest in that. And, uh, and, and, and put my hand on his knee and, and, and my hand wandered, wandered under his skirt and got hit by a mousetrap. So that was another... <laughs> Good. Uh, so it was... Uh, yeah, I, I, Mrs. Brown is... Uh, I know yeah, people are divided, but um, it's, um, it's musical. It's Old Mother Riley. Yes. It's, uh, you know, and and it's, uh, it's straight out of the musical. And he's great with his audience. I went to see him in Sheffield Arena. Um, and uh, there he was with 8,000... We'd we'll be jealous here. 8,000... <laughs> 8,000 in the audience on doing eight shows a week at 8,000 people a night on a three-month tour of eight shows a week at 8,000 a night. Yeah, he's got a lot of cast, though, hasn't he? I mean, it's his family, to be fair. But, uh, it's, <laughs> got but he treats his audience so well. And he makes them all... And they're all... It's sort of critic-proof. That's what I love about it. It's you know, the yeah. bien-pensants hate it. I mean, but, the, but there he is... Getting, getting these numbers. Yes, and you know, and it's about spread, you know, comedy, I think, and often can be forgotten, is about making people laugh and spreading joy. And I think whatever, you know, that is, if, it does, if it's not your bag, you don't go and see it. But yeah. if, it's, if, if it is your bag, then, you know, as you say, if you're making 8,000 people laugh. Yeah. I went, people laugh very snotty about it. I went to a school in, in Ireland, and, uh, which was a really thuggish sort of school. And I was a boarding school, and I was eight, you know, I was too young and all that. And uh, so I decided to exorcise the memory uh, when I was uh, doing Mrs. Brown. And I thought I'd wear the school leavers tie for, for the part as the barrister. For, yeah. you know. And so I drove up to this school and, and, uh, and claimed the tie from the, from the secretary there. And there were three teachers in there, one of, one of them old and two of them young. And they said, what do you want the tie for? And I said, uh, I said, I'm going to wear it in a film. And they all went, oh, rather, it's lovely. And they said, what is the film, they said. <laughs> and I said, it's Mrs. Brown's Boys, the movie. Uh, and the two younger ones went, oh, bloody hell, what's, you know, like that. Because uh, they obviously didn't like it. And the elder one said, oh, marvellous. He said, marvellous to have the school represented in a film about Queen Victoria. <laughs> It's, it's interesting, the boarding, I did hear you talk about uh, boarding school. And, I, and it's, you know, it's something that I think is, is so endemic in our, in our UK society, right? That I think you, thankfully, have not gone into politics, so you only play politicians. But like a lot of our politicians who then become MPs and become prime ministers have been through this horrible system of boarding school. And it seems, you know, it seems unbelievably cruel. My daughter's eight, the idea of sending her away to... I know, I know there, were, there were reasons why it happened. I mean, my, my mother was ill and she was in hospital for a long time yeah. and maybe I was, we were shipped off because of that. I, mean, yeah. I suspect that was part of the reason at that age. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, yeah, I spent uh, ten, uh, ten years at boarding schools. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a, is it, have you, you seem to be a well-balanced and together person who isn't going to destroy the country to make up for, for your no parental love. But uh, is... <laughs> 
that's uh, them I'm talking about, obviously. Um, but you know, is that it, it just does it? Does it, it obviously still resonates that you that you made even that gesture, as lovely as that gesture is. It's there's 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 a feeling I've got to I've got to kind of expunge this from. Well, my... yeah, I mean, that, yeah, because I mean, I, I wanted to see the place again, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, it is strange the whole sort of boarding school thing. I was talking to an Irish actress who had a pretty bad time as well uh, at such a, at such a, at a, that uh, at a boarding school, and I went to give you the story that she she told me, but uh, and I said, how did that affect you? And she said rather revealingly, she said it made me very good at hiding. Yeah, which I thought was really, and it, I mean, and also, well, you know, acting and stuff like that. There's a lot of hiding in that, and you've got to sort of, um, you've got to go into a different gear and 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 slip reality and all that. Yeah, and and so, do you think? Do you feel comedy was helpful? Because I know you are a big student of comedy. What I love about you is you know, you know, you, you as you say with the musical, you know all about the musical stuff, which is a tradition that is lost to a lot of people. But you've, you know, you've you've. Tried stand-up in terms of doing I character stand-up, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I like trying new stuff. I mean, yeah. I did my first... After 40 years in the business, last Christmas, I did my first musical. Right. <laughs> and uh, I did... Uh, I played Scrooge in Dolly Parton's Smoky Mountain Christmas Carol. <laughs> and uh, we did that on the South Bank for a month. Right. And there, everybody else was musical theatre. Yeah. Uh, I had a number at the end with sort of a Scrooge redemption number, which um, I had to do on my own, and then it turned into a gospel song. So, and, but... Uh, I thought, I've never done this before. Yeah, give it a go. Yeah. And they had faith in me that I could do it and all that. But it was, but it was, but musical theatre people are of a different kidney, really. They are just extraordinary. And they, and they work on a, they work on a stave. You know, everything they do is, is on the stave. It's, it's either singing notes or speaking notes. And, and the band, the band are able to sort of, they, 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 they everybody knows where everybody is. Whereas I, I mean, you know, I mean, they had numbers down there and I was always hitting the wrong number. And if there was a pool of light and I'd say, well, oh, that's probably where I've got to be standing, you know, and just sort of go into it. And, uh, and then, and the band would be, and I'd be doing my talking and then singing and stuff. And the band would be vamping away behind me, just sort of waiting to me to get to the right point and stuff like that. But it was fantastic. I mean, really loved it. I absolutely yeah. adored it. And I love working with musical theatre people. Yeah. I mean, you know, but that's good. So it's, it's... It, no, I just I, we, when you have people on, when I look through, you know, you get the CV and you think, well, they, those two are made up, but the rest of it is probably real. Um, you know, it's it's incredible. You know, we I know you as a very successful actor, and I've you know, we'd, and I've seen you through the years, but it's it is this really rich career you've got. I mean, and I know there's going to be a lot more to come. But do you look back on what you've done and feel like pleasure at that? Because this is obviously what you wanted right when you started out and when you were when you decided not to do that's life this is the career that you wanted and you've you seem to have achieved it do you feel that no i don't i mean i mean i I don't look back but um uh uh, i haven't yet got to the bit where i I, I like john belushi just sitting eating popcorn and watching his reruns i haven't done that yet um but um and i don't look back and i'm still ambitious and i still want to i want to want things to work and uh and to go into different things and if somebody throws me an idea which Seems odd. I'll do it. Yeah. Um, and um, so, yeah. I mean, I, it's. I, I. Well, I'm glad. I'm very glad. I didn't. Um, didn't do that presenting job. But I mean, there'd be huge disappointments along the way. I mean, there's, sort of, there's lots of shows which have either you know, ha- haven't got or or have gone to first pi- first series and haven't developed on and yeah. and you know, loads of loads of and, and disappointment is the sort of. Is you've just got to be prepared for that, and it's almost like a weekly event. You just have to have to have to run with it, and that's that's the stocking test. That's what you get. Well, it's interesting what, what you said about cold feet. You know, n- you know, n- nearly disappearing after one episode, and that's that's often you know that's a lot of the things that are very successful. <laughs> they get a rerun. Only Fools and Horses was a, was a rerun before it before it uh, beca- and, and the office as well was a was a rerun and so all these shows that could have been and the, you know there must be loads that didn't get the rerun and that would have been as good or could have captured the public imagination it's obviously there's there's an element of fortune in there but you know i think when you keep turning up in things that are successful there yeah, has to I be yeah i mean what I, my least favorite word in 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 media is meat and you know, when a producer says this is mary poppins meets lawrence of arabia or something <laughs> you it's going to be a hybrid. It's just a sort of a bit of one and a bit of the other, and it's going to have no soul. And so I load that. And that's an easy thing for execs to attach themselves to because everyone can understand it. But what they don't have are the adjectives for originality. 
And that's, that's where the art school comes in. And that's where you just have to go on instinct and, 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 and what, you, what, what strikes you almost ethereally. And, uh, and, and there are very few people who will commission uh, those sort of things. Yes. And, it's, and, it's, and it's sometimes safer just to go for the, for the, for the, for the, for the hybrid. Yeah, it's crazy, though, isn't it? Because the things that become... You know, the things that become massive commercial hits, yes. like The Office or The Simpsons, are, yeah. the cra- are those crazy ideas that are original yes. and, you know, that no one else is doing. So you would think they would go even just for... Like, if one, and five, one out of ten of these become yeah. as successful as The Office, yeah. then I never have to work again. So, you know, <laughs> well, you, I mean, Kofi was an example of, of something that was a hard sell. Yeah. I mean, when we, when we first did it, um, I read it, and I thought, this is, going to be, this is really good. And we were filming the first... And, and I, was, I was happy to talk about it to anybody who showed interest, you know, because I just thought... It, and, of course, you know, people will blank and, until they've seen it. Uh, and, uh, but uh, I was doing uh, the first episode of the first... Uh, in the first series, anyway, there was, a, there was a scene when I was driving my Mercedes into the primary school car park. And I was just waiting for the call, the action call. And, uh, and there was a pedestrian extra supporting artist standing by the wing mirror. And we were having a chat, waiting for the call of action. And, uh, and, and she said, so what's this series? And I said, no, it's, I was, thought, I said, it's a new series. It's called Cold Feet. It's about six people in Manchester. She said, no, the Mercedes, is it Series C or Series D? <laughs> so, you know, you just... You, know, you don't get anywhere with people until they've seen it. And, and, then, and then, of course... Cold Feet was deemed to be friends, and it wasn't. I mean, it was just, it had three, had six people in it. Yeah. But we weren't, we were, I mean, they were in a flat, we were in Manchester, you know, and it was, it was very, very different. And of course, and, and what was interesting was just to feel when people stopped saying friends and stopped and started calling it as, a, as, a, as, it's, as itself. Yeah. And then, of course, then you get later on in, in, the, in the series, you get people trying to make the new Cold Feet, of course, yes. having been so difficult to actually get the original Cold Feet on. <laughs> Yeah, but it's that's nuts. That's, that's to me. the way. It's often I mean, the way. but it's so nuts to me that people don't. The people who make, who want to make money, which is fair, if they're investing money in stuff, they should hopefully get a return on their money. But they never seem to realize. They might they'll go for let's do the thing that's successful. Never spotting the things that's successful is nearly always successful because it's not like anything else. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, it's it's craziness. Um, you've you've done a bit of directing as well. Is that something that you you want to? Yeah, and I, I, carry I mean, on. Yeah, I've always had, I've always done jobs. I've always had opinions, <laughs> <laughs> and the opinions haven't always been welcome. Yes, you know, as an actor, you're not supposed to have too many opinions. Just do the words. And um, so, but uh, yeah, it, I got an opportunity to. I love horse racing, and uh, jump racing in particular. And uh, the, I, a jockey rang me up. A jockey who had made a film was wanted to make a film. He was a, a, now a, a documentary, makes high end documentaries about racing mostly. And he wanted to make a, a drama about or dealing with and touching on the subject of uh, jockey suicide. And there were two, two jockeys that year had, had, um, had died at their own hand. And he wanted to do something which would tell people what the pressures are that, uh, that jockeys are, are under uh, in terms of, um, often in, in terms of social media and the pile on they, they get. Um, and so we collaborated on that. I... Um, uh, I co-wrote it and co-directed it with him. He'd never directed actors before, and we got these two really good actors to play the jockey and his partner. Um, and and yeah, we 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 made it, and it was a, it was a short, and it uh, it went down very well within the industry, certainly, and the, the professional jockeys, and it's been shown on Sky and stuff like that. So people yeah. have have watched it, and I really I really enjoyed the process of just going and not being behind in front of the camera. It was the first time I'd really felt yeah, I'd really and just just a Particular scene, you know, and just just squeeze, get get the moment, and go and talk to them quietly, and just just sort of lead lead something out, which which I think might be there, and to and to um, and make it theirs, but but just just to slightly sort of touch the tiller a bit. And yeah. I really enjoyed doing that. Oh, good, and so and writing as well. So is that is that... yeah. I mean, I write. A, I mean, I don't write much drama. I mean, I write a lot of articles for stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I write articles about um, various things. Um, and and uh, there's an editor I know of a magazine. I can I pitch an idea to him, and he says yes or no very quickly. <laughs> and so I just get on with it. And I do book reviews and things like that. So yeah, no, that's that's the writing I'm doing at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it seems like I th- it seems like a good life to me, Robert. That you've got and you you know, yeah, yeah I know, live in always, Wells. I, I've never met anybody in, in the profession <laughs> uh, uh, who isn't uh, sort of always 
um, just sort of looking, looking around. Yeah. You know? And if you, if you ever say, yeah, I've cracked it, <laughs> you know, that's death. Yeah. And uh, you just, uh, you've just, you've, no, you're always, always looking, looking, you know, like a, like a pointer, like a dog in the park, always sort of doing that, you know, for projects. And uh, so, uh, and that's the only way to be, I think. Yeah. But I think it's worth, you know, I, I get it and I get it and it's the same for comedians and, you know, I see very successful comedians who are still looking over their shoulder at who's doing better than them and who's doing, you know, whatever or what, why they haven't got a certain job. But I think you have to have, occasionally sit down and go, okay, look, I'm, this has been, yeah. I'm not finished and I'm not satisfied, but yeah. this has been pretty good yeah. so far, yeah. which I hope you, I hope you well, are doing. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've kept the families together and all that. And, yeah. uh, and um, so, yeah, I mean... It is. I mean, yes, of course, ambition aside, yes, there is, a, there is, it's, it's, yeah, I'm doing what I wanted to do in my 20s, so yeah. yeah. And, and um, you played quite a lot of real people, obviously, like people, like, you've been, I mean, sometimes in comedies and sometimes in, um, uh, in serious stuff, but uh, you played Mark Thatcher. In Mark Thatcher in something, we did that in South Africa, that was about the, um, the whole Equatorial Guinea um, yeah. heist, yeah. But, uh yeah, no, I've done. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 who else have I done? John Lemez and and um, uh, King Charles. Was that oh, in the, Charles, was that in the that comic strip? Impression. I did. I did a play by Mike Bartlett, which was in verse. Um, I love working in verse. And, yeah. and uh, this was really, really clever language, and but clear. You know, I, I hate leaving audiences dangling on, on the sense of stuff. And um, and this was really good. I did it in Chicago. Uh, they needed someone who'd been in Downton Abbey to play Prince Charles. Uh, and so, uh, and everybody else was American. And um, so uh, I did it at the Chicago Shakespeare Theatre. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it wasn't an impression at all. No. Uh, and the, the play is, uh, starts on the day the Queen dies and when he takes it over and he refuses to sign some legislation uh, about freedom of speech. And they say, what are you, an unelected toff doing, um, uh, trying to take on the, elect- the uh, democratic process? And uh, and it's a good debate, but it's also a drama. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, I loved doing. I really, really enjoyed doing. That, that was before the Queen had actually died. Right? Yeah, no, this it was, was, was a It was it was written. Yeah, about ten years before. Wasn't just she's dead. Let's get this play out there. Is she? <laughs> she's unfortunately oh, no. passed. Yeah. The, the news hasn't made the Tunbridge Wells Times yet. <laughs> They've got more important things to cover. To cover. Here. So is there, is there anything other than the uh, Jeffrey Barnard coming up that you can talk no, about? No, no idea at the moment. No. Um, I, I'd like to take that. I've got, I've got to have it in my back pocket so that I can, when I'm not working, I can say to the coach, I'll do 10 gigs. Yeah, it's or whatever, brilliant. Like that. And, uh, and, uh, and, and take it further. But uh, no, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, you're a very youthful man. For, but you're still... Is it, is, it, is it a weird thing to suddenly be playing... Or not suddenly, but to be playing these older characters and Jeffrey well, Barnard. No, no one is the age that they want to be. I mean, I remember in my, you know, you'd go up for go up for parts, and they and they say you've got children in this in this in this advert or this scene or this thing, and you think, oh god, that's a bit advanced, you know, I haven't got any children <laughs> yet. And then and then there comes a point when they say, now your kids have just gone to university, <laughs> and you think, oh god, that's where I am, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, no, I mean, you have to accept it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I. I relish it, actually. I love. I mean, uh, Jeffrey Bernard is 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 uh, a decrepit old soak, and, yes. uh, you know, and all that. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm looking forward to taking him on. Yeah, fantastic. Look, it's so lovely to talk to you, Robert. It's yeah, so lovely to see you again. Uh, and I hope Tunbridge Wells is very proud to have you living here, ladies and gentlemen. The amazing Robert Bathurst. Thank you very much. Oh, go and buy my stuff. You have been listening to Rahalastapa with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Robert Bathurst. Scamp regard, do the music. Don't even know that? Yeah, I do. I'm indebted to Chris Evans, not that one or that one, and Ben Evans, not that one or that one. Uh, There's probably loads of Ben Evans, aren't there, if you think about it. Thank you also to Beck Cliff and George Lingford and everyone at the Assembly Hall Theatre in Royal Tunbridge Wells. I don't like Tunbridge, but I do like Royal Tunbridge Wells. Uh, this is a Skype Chat Fuss and Go Fuss and Production. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Thanks again for listening to the podcast, richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour or richardherring.com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. Gofasterstripe.com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out. <laughs>